Welcome to After the Deluge. I am Justin Cox. I started the last episode saying, it's 2005, people, we are at war. And then I just talked about the bleep bloop songs from Digital Ash and a Digital Urn for an hour. You can make a plan. Well, today, we go to war. We are talking about When the President Talks to God, which Bright Eyes released in 2005, just months removed from the double album record release of I'm Wide Awake It's Morning and Digital Ash. And my guest is Rob Harvilla of the excellent 60 Songs That Explain the 90s podcast. And when I say we talk about this song, what I mean is we talk about the moment into which this song was unleashed. It's a very specific moment, at least for me, as someone who was 20 years old in the mid-aughts at the time, but George W. Bush has just been reelected. We got a couple of wars going, and they're both kind of fucked up. Whatever hollow togetherness came out of 9-11 is gone, and I can say from the vantage point of 2022 that it never returns. And this song is Conor Oberst processing that moment with basically no restraint and no editor. It's banged out chord strums, talking blues vocals, no overdubs, no harmonies, nothing. Let me say thank you to the Reddit guy who informed me that there's a short chapter in Lizzie Goodman's book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, dedicated specifically to this song. And thank you also to my wife who bought that book at the Sub Pop store in the SeaTac airport two months before that. I swiped that off her nightstand and skipped to chapter 68 and did myself some real good learning. Lizzie's book is an oral history, so you get to hear directly from Connor, who says he wrote that song a day or two after Bush was reelected. He'd played a bunch of Vote for Change shows with R.E.M. and Bruce Springsteen in the months leading up to the election, and, like many of us, was feeling disillusioned with the result. He had some shows and some interviews planned in Europe, and he was at the airport waiting to fly over there when he got a call from Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen told him, They're going to be asking you a lot of questions about the country, and you have to tell them that there's half of us over here that don't feel that way. Keep your head high, tell them we tried our best, and we're going to keep working over here. That's pretty straightforward and simple, but it gets at something very real and true. Kind of like a Bruce Springsteen song, honestly. Uh, During that trip to Europe, with all of this on his mind... Connor Oberst banged out when the president talks to God on a ferry ride from one show to another, and he played it in London that night. And now a Connor Oberst quote. I just wrote that song really quick on the boat. It's not a well-written song. It was just to make a point. I felt obligated. So Rob and I enter into this song from a pretty funny angle. It's an alt-weekly piece that he wrote back when it was released. The piece is full of youthful piss and vinegar, and it's pretty fun to revisit with him. He's very thoughtful about it. He he uh, cringes his way through a little bit of his own words, but I say this in the interview, you only got to take like one and a half steps back to see the larger point he's making, and there's a real point there. Rob's piece revolves around a Berkeley show that he saw while living in the Bay Area and a Dallas show that drew some headlines around that same time. But the definitive version of this song is the performance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Bright Eyes is at their absolute peak in this moment, like the kind of point in your career where you're getting calls from Bruce Springsteen and that kind of shit. And instead of playing a song from one of the two records he released like three months earlier, Oberst gets up there by himself, dressed like a cowboy, and rattles off a song about the president being an idiot and a religious hypocrite. It's fun and convenient to think Connor Oberst played that song without Leno's approval, but that's not the case. 
Uh, I think it's Dan Ozzie in Lizzie Goodman's book who tells the story of the Tonight Show signing off on the song and Jay Leno talking to Connor Oberst prior to the show about past experience with protests and stuff. I think we all love the version where Jay Leno like is caught off guard and gets pissed off about it, but I don't know. There's some something cool about the nuance of him being like kind of down with it. Not to like ride hard for Jay Leno or anything, but you know. Check out Lizzie's book to get that story and a thousand others from this time period we're talking about in this episode. And now on to Rob Harvilla, whose 2005 piece was called Turn Around Bright Eyes. You are about to hear two dudes talk about how this is not the best song, and then we're going to meander into like just that general landscape of like 2001 to 2005 and just all, everything that was happening then, music-wise, politics-wise. And then we're going to boomerang our way back to this song and kind of understand it a lot more. And, you know, like we're, none of this changes what the song is, but it's good that this song exists. This song is worth its own podcast. I stand by that. So... Here is When the President Talks to God with Rob Harvilla. Oh yeah, the version of the song that you're going to hear throughout this episode is from Motion Sickness, which is a collection of Bright Eyes live recordings from that period. When the President talks to God, are the conversations brief or long? Does he ask to rape our women's rights and send poor farm kids off to die? Does God suggest an oil hike when the president talks to God? Let's, let's start here. 2005 is when I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning comes out. It's when President Talks to God comes out. It's when you write this article in the Dallas Observer. Where is, we kind of have a sense of where Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes are then. Where's yeah. Rob Harvilla? Where are, where are you in life at this time? I am. It's a strange thing. At the time, I am a music editor at the East Bay Express, which is an alt-weekly in the Bay Area, just Absolutely. across the Bay from San Francisco. Uh, I'm living in Oakland. The office is in Emeryville. Uh, that paper is at the time owned by a semi-notorious chain of alt-weeklies. Uh, I got one in Phoenix, Dallas, including Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, some in Florida, sort of scattered across the country, but music editors are encouraged to share their content in both the print and weirdly online. This is a very mid 2000s uh, publication scheme, but like, I wrote that article for my hometown paper where I was living in the East Bay Express and it was shared okay. to a few other all weekers, including Dallas. But this is me attending, I believe it was my first Bright Eyes show at the Berkeley Community Theater uh in 2005 i don't recall if uh i'm wide awake it's morning had come out yet i don't i i don't i don't recall but it's all within months of each other it's kind of right right it's cl close enough but yeah this is this is my inaugural bright eyes experience i have to say first of all <laughs> uh i don't know if you have the phenomenon i don't know if you're familiar with of reading something that you wrote five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And like you cringe at it a little it's bit. An, Does this happen to you? It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah. This was a total nightmare. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I did not enjoy reading the thing that I wrote in 2005. <laughs> I sort of, I stand by it as like analysis, I guess, you know, like I, but I, the writing is, I sort of just winced at the overheated 
I'm an all weekly music editor in the mid 2000s. You know, I'm reading my Lester Bangs anthologies. I'm spending all my time on message <laughs> boards. You know, pit, the pitchfork pan, you know, is in full bloom. You know, I have just a very overheated and sort of snarky. Over, I, I call him a douchebag. It's like, it's like, I call him like a genius, but a douchebag or whatever. It's just like, shut up, Rob. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, like, I, <laughs> the tone, the tone I cannot hang with now <laughs> the sentiment you arrive at i think you can right but the but right that's yeah. why i ask that's why i ask where you were as a person and a writer and everything at that time <laughs> clearly it, i had some issues no in a way yeah. in a way that i think is entertaining still but like um <laughs> i think it's actually kind of poignant because something i'm doing this like kind of album by album the way the series yeah. goes and i've done it with other artists and stuff and honestly the the reality is like this artist we're talking about right now has to do he has a version of that where his songs are recorded from being like a 16 year old and then an Mm -hmm. 18 year old then a 21 year old and then a 24 year old writing about a really highly charged moment in politics right his song i mean his song you this song you could say is like the song version of the the alt weekly piece you wrote in a way you know that's a very good way of putting it yes it's a very alt weekly type song that received from me unfortunately a very alt weekly type response that there yeah there's a lot of stuff that i think would cringe but i do think gifted or the ego is at full boil keep your head out of your ass is good (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll take your word thank you i'll take your word for it i i winced it virtually every word of this piece including those words but if, if you're into it then then that's it's a really it's a harsh entry but it's funny, it's, it's, funny. <laughs> it's a little harsh i don't i never thought of myself as that harsh but apparently i was capable of being that harsh at the time <laughs> well all right so the part yes. where your the part where your sentiment i think get, is 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 right on is like the part where you talk about kind of like you talk about Bruce Springsteen, you, the 250 mm-hmm. parts, one thing, and then one part seething anger. The actual line in Rob's piece is the boss will tell you the most resonant political anthems are 250 parts eloquence and compassion to one part blind seething rage. What I think is interesting about this is like we're in this moment. The country is in a crazy moment at that time. Yeah. Like I think it's not it's it's super important to note that like springsteen and rem and jackson brown and the dixie chicks all these people are out for for john Kerry. like literally can't think of a a less inspiring person but that's where the most that's you got all i can but he wasn't that inspiring yeah yeah that's true that's a good point you can but uh (laughs) so i think i think in the moment you have to wonder like is this where this gifted artist is going is this what he's going to just what he's going to do now. And he doesn't go on to just do that. He does that in this moment, I think. And, and I think consciously makes the choice to not put it on a record. You know, he plays it on a late night show, puts it Mm -hmm. out and it's, it's this one moment, you know? Yeah. It stands, it stands alone. When the president talks to God, are the consonants all hard or soft? Is he resolute all down the line? Is every issue black or white? Does what God say ever change his mind when the president talks to God? I'm from Ohio originally, you know, and this was the first time I had moved for a job. So I am moving from Columbus, Ohio to Oakland, California. 
And I go to I go to interview for the job and I walk out of my hotel and I walk through the lobby the morning of my interview and everybody is watching the Iraq war starting on TV. It was the day the Iraq war started in what March 2003. Yeah. And so I am at this job. I'm an alt weekly music editor in the Bay Area from 2003 to 2006. I see Bright Eyes Live at the Berkeley Community Theater in 2005. I am at the most liberal place on earth, like however you define, like the most left-leaning, the most pro-carry, like I am in a bubble, right? Like I am in a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. Like, you know, my parents are very conservative. I'm not ordinarily very political. Like I have very strong and very firm feelings, but I don't talk about it very much. Like I just, I don't have the stomach for political arguments, you know, which is, which is arguably, you know, arguably a problem in and of itself, but it's not something that I talk about all the time, but like this era is so strange to me, you know, the Kerry election and seeing this unfold and literally every person around me thinking the way I do broadly. Like I didn't, I don't think that I spoke to anybody who was going to vote for Bush. It just, it seemed like we were in lockstep, but it didn't matter. Right. I, it, it was such a weird discordant moment for me where, where I was physically and who I was talking to, everyone thought the same way, but it was, we were doomed, not, not doomed, but like it was, we were going to fail, you know, we were on the losing side. Yeah. And so I, I think part of the hostility that I unfortunately brought to this article was the sense that like, this is as preaching to the choir as you can possibly get like an anti-Bush song song at the Berkeley, not the Best Buy community theater, like the Berkeley community theater, like just an independent Berkeley institution. And he sings this song, which is like, I'm sure at this time and still to a degree, like I value cleverness, you know, and coyness in my songwriting. And there is nothing remotely clever about this song. It is so direct. It is like, it, it, there's no artifice to it at all. It's just Connor Oberst like raging, you know, seething anger, right? And and some of the lines within the song are very eye-rolling, but there's just there's a directness and just a refusal to make this cute or poetic at all. It's just it's it's as a protest song, however you define that, it's just there's no art to it's it. It's not, yeah. It's which I, I... strengthens the protest, right? But it's just I'm sitting there in a crowd of people who like, I would have believed you if you told me that 100% of these people are against Bush, 100% of these people are against the war, got to vote for Kerry. And he's singing this song. And it's just, I, there was such a defeatism to my attitude, sadly, at this moment. It's just like, nothing we do is going to matter. Nothing anyone says is going to matter. Like, why am I listening to this person sing this song to a bunch of other people who already agree with him? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, there was there was there was such a loop within the bubble within the bubble to it and i just i took out my own what boiled down to cynicism on the song itself like i don't think this is a great song as i sit here in 2022 and i i i think that as you say like it's better that it's a single right it's better that it's not on wide awake it's morning which by far is my favorite bright eyes record i'm sure that's a normie opinion to have about bright it's- eyes but it's normy, but it's it's not wrong, you know. Okay, it's, there it's we great. go. That's what I that's what I was hoping for. I'm glad that this song stands alone. You know, I won't tell you that this song is great or that I listen to it for pleasure, but I don't think it was designed to be listened to for pleasure. You know, I have a lot more respect 
for it now, even if it didn't make a difference, even if it didn't persuade anybody, you know, there's still value in the fact that he, he wrote it and then he sung it and then he played it on a late night show. I had forgotten that. And that's very important. Like that's a moment where you're reaching people who don't know who he is and don't know who this person are, but they're just your, what was it? Leno? Is it Letterman? It's Leno. It's Leno. And like, oh yeah. boy. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> I think the act, I think the act of doing that and it's sheer right. existence is, is means more than the song itself, you know? Cause I like agree. it's, it's Jay Leno holds up. This guy released two records at the same time right then, you know? And then, you perform this one on that show. The song like, is on neither of them, right? Yeah, I have a with lot a big cowboy hat on. <laughs> I, I'm from a small town called Winters, Ag Town, outside of like Davis, California, up there. So I spent a lot of time in the East Bay and, and all that. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I've been to shows where you just watch. I mean, it's a riskless thing to sit there and rail about politics mm-hmm. in that environment. And honestly, like it's kind of the world we live in now 20 years later is just a bunch of people speaking to people who agree with them. And absolutely. No, no the bubble no. problem is exponentially multiplied, of course. But I think, I think that is something that you like, like you said, you can, you can cringe at some of the specific sentences in your article, but like the part where the part where you talk about what he says at a show in Dallas versus what he says at a show in Berkeley mm-hmm. and the audiences and stuff, there's value in that contrast i mean what he says at the show in dallas is <laughs> is so clumsy and bad right isn't he just like i wouldn't i hate your states i would never live in your states like fuck your state like you're cool but fuck your like like you're cool but fuck your state is is fine but then he gets to if you came to this show tonight you're not a normal texan not good there oh and boy. then and then yeah. if you were a normal texan you'd probably be roping steer and raping indians oh my god how That's, old is he at this point 24 25 maybe oh my god yeah i i always i always have to recalibrate how young he is at every moment however young i think he is in a moment he's younger i use the excuse of this conversation to sort of do what i'd always meant to do which is like a real hardcore bright eyes deep dive where i listen to a lot of it right in a row and just sort of focused on the progression and i think a thing about this song that you come to appreciate if you listen to everything leading up to it is that like outburst and it like i don't want to say tantrum pejoratively but like he loses his cool you know and he says things that he shouldn't say and he, you know, it's it, it gets atonal and it gets shrill, but like that's part of his art, frankly. You know, there's there's examples of that tendency throughout his catalog. Like this song makes sense, makes more sense in the context of everything that preceded it. If you go all the way back to the earliest records, you know, the EPs, you know, just the the, the outbursts on fevers and mirrors were like what first drew me. No matter what I would do, The sense that this is a volatile person who is out of control, who can't control what he says or how he says it, how he sings it. And it's just, it's going to devolve into chaos. He's going to start just screaming or yelping or just losing control of himself. Like That's part of the appeal, like genuinely. And why wouldn't he bring that same energy to a protest song? This song makes a lot more sense to me now that I know more about how he built up to it. That's, that's well put.
I'm a couple years younger, but I was in college and I'm not, I'm not super wired toward like, I, I share some of the things you were talking about, like where you, where you come from with this. Like if you're just preaching to your choir and speaking, like you're like reciting rage against the machine lyrics, what is it? What are you doing? Like, what do you, what, right. where are we going with that? Yeah. But the, um, I remember at that moment kind of reaching like, man, stuff is bad. And it's probably not a coincidence that like Fahrenheit nine eleven was came out like six right. months earlier. Like we were yeah. at that time, you know, and, 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 and it's like a real whiplash thing because two years earlier, I put an American flag decal on my 89 Honda Accord. Like are you just, uh, the, 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 the like country came together in a way and then just mm-hmm. absolutely blew to pieces. Exactly. Fast. I mean, that was a totally sincere and, and, and honorable impulse on your part like that's the the fact that an american flag decal it didn't become that because like john prine you know had a song about the the hypocrisy of american flag decals like back in the 70s or whatever but like i know exactly what you're talking about i was here in columbus i was at my first job in alt weekly when 9 11 happens you know i remember the personal aftermath and what felt like the societal aftermath you know and just just watching that coming together and splitting apart again is is it's it's poisons my memory of the music from this time like i was trying to think about you know like bruce springsteen's the rising right which is like or you two's all that you can't leave behind like i the rising is more a direct response like you two at the Super Bowl, right? Where he holds up his jacket, it's the American flag, and the the names of the 9-11 victims are behind me. He's doing it where the streets have no name. And it's just like it's it's very corny. And I understand if you recoil recoil from like a gesture that broad and that sort of fundamentally clumsy, but there's also the potential to find that enormously moving. And I have to say that I did. Like the way that music went from something that could theoretically be so powerful and bring us together to something that felt so futile was, was really frustrating to me. Like in terms of protest songs from this era, you know, protesting Bush, protesting the war, like I, there's the chicks and there's everything else. obviously not a song like that's we're embarrassed that the president is from texas is what that boils down to but there's just there's nothing that approaches that level of consequence yeah in terms of what that protest meant to their career and their arc you know and they've recovered and you know i'm they don't regret it and they made wonderful music and were rewarded for it but i just it was so destabilizing you know the percentage of their audience that they lost and just the way their trajectory changed forever. Like that's, that was risk to me in a way that Connor Oberst singing to a crowd of Berkeley people, like couldn't be risk, but like, I, that's wrong. It's wrong of me to expect him to find some way of protesting on a chick's level. Like it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, all you can do is what you do. And so that's the thing he did. Right. But, but you are very right that, there's nothing to lose in that moment by doing that in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Right. There's absolutely everything to lose for the chicks to do that. And it's, and we're talking like a year and a half earlier, two years earlier, they did that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, right. we were still kind of like, 
it was still kind of like the afterglow of whatever kind of fake version of everyone being on the same page after 9-11 was. Coming together. It just was yeah. starting to turn, you know? That's right. pre-Fahrenheit 9-11. You know? Right, right. <laughs> Which is, I guess, the demarcation line of the time <laughs> turning for me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Yeah, I can understand that, you know? And like the Toby Keith song, you know, that, that will put a boot in your ass, it's the American way. You know, I forget where that falls on the chick's timeline. But yeah, it's, I, I think you put it beautifully, you know, if, even though it's such an ugly and still sort of painful thing to me, like the coming together and the breaking apart. And the way that I just, I remember this time musically, it's just, other than the chicks, and again, that's not a song, like I, a band like No Effects, right? Like a band that was sort of famously irreverent and just juvenile and just didn't give a shit about anything or anybody. And that was their whole brand. And that was great. No Effects were great. But like No Effects turns, you know, puts out a record called The War on Errorism. That's the way to go, Frank, no American rock or punk against bush like puts out compilations yeah like i fat mike says like we we played a show in florida you know and like bush and gore was decided by however many votes in florida like we could have personally turned the tide if we'd have cared and like tried to get you know our crowds in florida to register to vote like that it's it's reductive but like no effects is an example of a band's on the one hand, you can say they changed and they became political and they risked something. But then again, they're punk rock, right? Like the whole right. point, the old saw is like Republican, you know, administrations make for great punk rock, you know, yeah, like yeah. unfortunately, no effects for all the good that they did and all the sincerity of what they were doing. Like they're preaching to the choir as well, to a, to a large extent, not a Berkeley crowd extent, but still. Yeah, they're they're preaching to the choir, but I there is somehow a very so I can't comprehend it sometimes. But you'll meet like a you can meet a Pennywise fan or something like that and be pretty surprised about their politics. And no, I can understand. That's true. Yeah. That's and I think true. I think that's that's, that's over. I think No Effects does have some of that. And I, I I went to I went to one of those Rock Against Bush like in Santa Cruz. I think like no effects alkaline trio and like jello biafra talking for a half hour <laughs> to open it as a show good old jello yeah yeah that is more than just writing a song and saying something that was like records that were putting money into campaigns and i guess i guess exactly springsteen and bright eyes and jackson brown and all these guys were doing that too to a certain in a different way but the springsteen arc i forget if magic was his next record after the rising but like i i think the title track to magic was more explicitly political you know but i springsteen is a weird one to me right because like i saw him at like a basketball the osu basketball arena you know in columbus ohio in the, within six months of 9 11 right and like springsteen Shit. is an artist who has a diverse crowd a politically diverse crowd hypothetically speaking i don't think there's ever been any confusion well i say that but like you know born in the usa is a song that's misused politically like to this day but i think there's a broad understanding that he's left-leaning but he's not like rage against the machine Mm -hmm. political about it and like i don't think that he ever wrote you know like the 41 shots song i think it was like that the anti-police brutality police killing song that he did that like infuriated the nypd like he's had very explicit political moments but i think in general he is trying to do what you're saying which is to recreate that immediate post 9-11 feeling of coming together and just inject a little bit 
of political speech into it, like more of a point of view and a left-leaning, you know, an anti-Bush, anti-war point of view. And that too struck me as very noble and very brave to an extent, but ultimately, you know, it didn't turn the tide. And it's wrong of me again to, to hold it against this music that the bubble I was in, you know, our politics did not win this moment. You know, and and we were we were on the losing side for the entire decade. You know, for the election itself, for the war itself. You know, it it was very frustrating and just the weird disconnect between everything and everyone around me and what happened and what the result was was so strange to me. And I I I do suspect that to this day, like it makes me hear the music differently and makes me sort of unfairly project my own you know disappointment onto it. I'd, I'd be curious to go back and listen to the rising like is the ri- rising was huge like it I'm was not- huge it's a great record it's a fantastic record and i do think there are trace elements of like it's moving it's genuinely moving come on up for the rising come on up with your hands in mine come on up for the rising come on up does genuinely i think if you give yourself up to it give you that feeling of like we're going to do this together you know and i think setting politics aside i think that did happen to an extent you know i still think there that spirit and that warmth exists in this record you know but this moment this specific song is this one thing but in in the previous record he has let's not shit ourselves the 10 minute song that gets the last song that's all kind of weaves the personal and and the political and everything in a way that I think really, really works in a a way that like say that many words in that short of a, in that dense of a time, (laughs) there should be a lot of spots where it just doesn't. And on the whole, it feels it's kind of doing that, like just sort of like let open the spigot entirely and just release kind of thing. There's purity Mm -hmm. in that and, and everything. Yeah. But then, and then when you get to I'm wide awake, it's morning, you get, like landlocked blues and these songs and then wrote ode to joy at the very end road to joy ode to joy that is road to joy is my favorite bright eye song if you are into getting a bright eyes zine some extra content or if you just want to support the creation of this show go to patreon.com slash after the deluge it's just one five dollar tier super simple easy thank you for the support When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's very good. And I think that this is like the most, like you said, this is the, this would be the normie record, the most popular record. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's really just, I wouldn't say it's like a bunch of polished up pop songs, but it's, it's accessible and just sounds nice, you know, but he tucks road to joy at the end of that and, and kind of blows the lid off of it and says Mm -hmm. without stepping on the rest of that record or even making that song feel wrong. I don't know. I love it. I love it too. I, I, the second time I saw him was in New York city at town hall uh this would have had to be 2006 2007 like I in my memory he did a residency like he did three or four days he had like cool prestigious openers I saw the saw I saw the show where Gillian Welch 
and Dave Rawlings open and I love them and it was fantastic and Road to Joy was the last song and Gillian and Dave were back on stage and like I don't think Gillian like trashed anything or whatever but I have this memory of Dave Rawlings like putting his boot through a toy piano on stage yes. like just getting into the raw like chaotic energy of it and like that's that's what solidified road to joy is my favorite bright eyes song that moment if that was not enough road to joy conversation for you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to those and or go to patreon.com slash after the deluge it's very very cool uh yeah i saw that yeah. same tour funny enough in berkeley at like greek theater in <laughs> like they were all the they greek all, theater that's rad that's rad they that's were awesome. all dressed they were all dressed in white and I think, mm. yeah, the Gillian Welch and then oh, the right. My Morning Jacket, Jim James from My Morning Jacket. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Road to Joy, Road to Joy kills. So so I want to ask <laughs> what's funny. We're talking about this. I'm talking to someone who who hosts a show called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, but I'm talking about like 2003 through 2006. Um, it's all connected. You know, 60 songs that explain the aughts. Does any Bright Eyes song penetrate that? Does it make it? Yeah, or- sure. I Let me, let's, I mean, when the president talks to God is a strong candidate there, because I think if I, and it's a possibility, I, uh, if I were to do that, I would need to address, you know, the protest song, you know, quote unquote, you know, the response to the war, the response to Bush, all this stuff that we're talking about, I yeah. think is exemplified by this song you know it's not my favorite bright eyes song it's arguably you know somewhat performatively my least favorite bright eyes song but again i have a lot more warmth toward it now even the thought of them him playing it on jay leno which i'd forgotten about like that's that's a rad thought i'm sure i'm sure you would not enjoy that as music but you would really appreciate that as like not theater but as like a statement when the president talks to god does he fake that drawl or merely not Agree which convicts should be killed Where prisons should be built and filled Which voter fraud must be concealed When the president talks to God So that's a strong candidate. I was not aware, basically until this morning, that the first day of... I didn't know first day of my life was like far and away his biggest spot if i didn't i did i frankly did not know that like when i think of wide awake like the first song you know that starts with a story about the plane you know is i lua i thought was Mm -hmm. like the consensus biggest bright i saw but i'm clearly very wrong about that and so but yeah absolutely on a long i don't know about you know if i only had 30 songs or 60 songs like but i bright eyes is a big part of this decade for sure and so i there's a very strong argument for him somewhere it's interesting the way the that time period i mean you got you got strokes records where they got to take songs off because of 9 11 <laughs> that's got, right new york city cops and, and these right, are not people right. talking explicitly about politics all the time it just kind of touched ever touched so much stuff mm-hmm. then what i something i will say i found this fascinating and i i it's part of the reason you're uh, all weekly piece resonated or or jumped out to me and I wanted to reach out to you is that so this show has a Patreon and like I put up a Google Doc of like let's let's try and find 64 songs to like make a bracket like a one of those like March Madness brackets yeah yeah, yeah and it just was like you guys helped t- put get a sense for how this thing should get seated and it was a bunch of people saying to get this song off to get President Talks to God off it and I had to be like I I'm, I was actually surprised that I mean these are like real 
these people love bright eyes, you know, yeah. they were very clear about bumping that I I'm the boss here. And so I vetoed <laughs> them. It, it's not about it being good. It's a, it was played on a late night show. You can say that about like four, four uh, right. songs. So it's going to be there, but it's a shared thing. I don't, this song is not a, at least in my little small sample size, people weren't writing hard for it. I get that though. I, again, I sort of get the divide between I enjoy this song versus this song is important. I can understand if you're thinking about it in terms of a bracket of my favorite or most representative bright eye songs. Like this is, this is, as you've been saying, an anomaly. It's not on any record. You know, it's sort of a weird blip. Does he play it live at all? Doubt it. Doubt it. Yeah, I, bet it was, I doubt I bet it too. Was, I bet it was one year of time. And that's, that's, I think that's the thing. Like, and this is very, it's not a knock on it at all, but it is very explicitly tied to a very specific moment in a very specific situation. And it just, it's hard to wrap your head around it fully outside of that situation. When the president talks to God, I wonder which one plays the better cop. We should find some jobs, the ghetto's broke. No, they're lazy, George, I say we don't. Just give them more liquor stores and dirty coke. That's what God recommends. What are, what are the number one seeds in that, in, in the bracket such as that? I know that I, I mean, it could easily have just been four songs from I'm Wide Awake It's Morning if you just went by plays, okay. but. Yeah. First day of my life. Lua, let's not shit ourselves just because it's sort of big and you gotta get lifted in, in there somewhere. You know? And then, yeah, uh, lover, I don't have to love lifted. Okay, right. I, yeah, lifted. I did not get into that record in real time. You know, even though I had like a vague sense that this is my shit. You know, like I sort of had to come back to that later. I was sort of I was turned by I'm wide awake. You know, that was the first one I really went deep into, you know, and I think that affects the way I think about Bright Eyes as a whole. So that's, it's not surprising, I guess, that, you know, those two records dominate, you know, a conversation like that. Yeah, Lifted. Lifted was uh, downloaded illegally for me. And then by the time it was <laughs> but downloaded illegally and had on a mix CD in the wrong order and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's a tough one to be in the wrong order. That's got to be confusing. I've said this on another list, but like whatever like LimeWire download I did and put it on, I, I had like, 11 of the songs from lifted and then accidentally heavy metal drummer by wilco and so it was, <laughs> just wow was, it just that is totally there. challenging it was weird Jeez. Yeah, it was weird so all this this moment lifted to i'm wide awake it's morning and digital ash and digital learn is that sort of post 9 11 kind of mm -hmm. social arc right and i studied yes. in, i studied in spain for one year in 2004 so when these records came mm. out i was living there watching that election there oh god yeah. truly you like you want to talk like you're in berkeley in east bay so that's its own thing too but i'm in this place that's like you truly cannot comprehend how I, I, it was impossible to me that that election would go that way even though i could yeah. i could see polls and stuff like that but it just was like mm -hmm. man i just spent the last i just spent the last three months trying to tell spanish girls that we hate this president and now yeah. he won't again now my the now it doesn't American. work any doesn't work yeah. for me anymore. I don't know. That's that's a bummer for you, man. I'm sorry. It worked out. It worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. What's uh Yeah, of course. What can you tell us about 60 songs that explain the 90s and what's coming next and all that? Yeah, stuff? I'm on a little bit of a break. We have we have 
proved the title incorrect, we we ended up adding 30. I am doing 90 songs now, and I'm halfway through that. I, I finished the 75th episode a few weeks ago. You know, I, I, I try to take a little break, you know, roughly at the halfway point. And so I, I will be back in a month or so with the final 15. Uh, it's... It's very stressful just to look at the Google Doc of all the songs, you know, and determine like I have to do these. I really want to do these. It would be very cool to do these. Like just you know, way more songs than slots is has just been, you know, that's why we've done we did more to begin with. And I'm I'm getting that old, very anxious, how are we gonna do this feeling again? But it's like I, I try not to forecast or like, you know, betray, you know, any thought of like what songs we're doing. Like I kind of like the idea of that being a surprise, but it's just broadly, I have 15 left and I don't know how I'm going to get every song that I want to get in there, like into that box, you know? And so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. You're not in reality. (laughs) (laughs) That that's correct. That's I, I guess I am refusing to acknowledge the simple mathematical equation here and i am i'm grasping for some magical realism you know solution to this conundrum when the problem is like i just i'm not going to get to everything and i'm going to have to make tough choices well it's a it's an amazing show it's it's the kind of show that feels like it's made specifically for me and i can say (laughs) that about a song i love or a song that i just yeah. Or a song that I dislike but know about. Or I, yeah. And and what's funny is like a lot of times I record these intros and I'll write some stuff and like sometimes mm. like Lifted is my favorite Bright Eyes record and I wanted to. Okay. Like, I'm gonna write some things. I'm gonna say some things here about this. <laughs> and it's really a major process. It's like yeah. and then and then recording your voice, doing it, and everything like that, and sounding natural. Right. And you're a maniac with the intros. <laughs> and like you're. It's a they really, are very really, long. They are it's, so it's, long. It's really impressive, though. It's like this whole uh, it's a it's a podcast and it's this like it's it's an essay, you know, and unburdening. Yeah. I remember clicking on the Britney Spears one and learning like a way more about Mariah Carey than I ever would have known before I got to Britney Spears and it and learning in the process why that mattered so much. It's just really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. These they're getting very discursive and very, very long. You know, I, I got to rein it in or I'm going to collapse at some point, but it's it's sustainable for the time being (laughs) that's the best i can say follow yeah follow your heart well (laughs) really really appreciate it yeah man thanks for having me this has been awesome i really appreciate it where where can people find you podcast and you in general they can oh they can find me on on the old the old twitter at just harvilla that's h-a-r-v-i-l-l-a uh 60 songs was spotify exclusive and remains that remains the best way to hear it just because spotify owns the ringer of course i do believe that it it was at least supposed to come to apple etc it was supposed to broaden and i keep meaning to check if it has and haven't excellent um i'm gonna hey we feel good about linking to your to your alt weekly piece in the in the bottom (laughs) let them find it let them find it on their own how about we make them do the the one you know that's it's it's like a token gesture toward you know i it's i'm not gonna like renounce it but again i was just like oh man like please shut up they we talked we gave it its context (laughs) they can find it yes there we go that's that's the right way you know i i can't wipe it from the internet but i would love to yeah yeah. you went you went on to write for deadspin or gawker one of those right Deadspin, yes. I was I right. Let's what was the arc there? I was at the Village Voice for a while. That's when I saw the town hall, right? I show I was at 
a Spotify competitor called Rhapsody. But yes, I was at Dead. I was at Spin Magazine for a while. I was at Dead Spin for a while, and I've been at the Ringer since it launched in 2016. Yeah, well, longest I've been at one job by far. Congratulations to you. Thank you. <laughs> wow. When the president talks to God, do they drink near beer and go play golf? While they pick which countries to invade, which Muslim souls still can be saved? I guess God just calls a spade a spade when the president talks to God. When president talks to God, does he ever think that maybe he's not? That that voice is just inside his head when he kneels next to the presidential bed? Does he ever smell his own bullshit when the president talks to God? I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed yourself, please subscribe to the show, tell a friend, leave a review, any of that stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Routine Layup, and I will see you in the next couple weeks because... We love you very, 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 very much. And then uh, he starts humming this little tune, and and uh, it kind of goes like this. It's kind of one, two, one, two, three, four... Telephone.